Hi guys, it's Jasmine here and welcome to Therapeutic Convo with Jasmine. For those of you who are just tuning in and you don't know anything about me, my name is Jasmine and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and professional counselor here in the state of Texas. Um, I've been working in the mental health field for the past five years now um, and I've been working in Texas, I want to say for the past four years. Um, And once again, I just wanted to take the time out to thank you guys for constantly supporting me. You know, slowly but gradually, we're building up our audience. We're big enough. As I build content, ideally, hopefully, my audience will grow and I'm able to reach so many different people out there who normally wouldn't have access to this information. Because let's be real, as I've said in previous podcasts, um, mental health is a privilege. And the way our system is set up in order to afford quality care, I'll be privileged to some of this information. You have to have sometimes insurance and sometimes access because therapy is not cheap. And I hate to say it, um, you know, especially sometimes good therapy is not cheap or whatnot based off of the whole managed care system. And I'm not going to get into that. Maybe that'll be a different podcast and all of the, you know, the shortfalls and the pitfalls and all the, you know, the barriers that come along with the managed care system and how it keeps people from accessing the care and the services that they need. And sometimes too, how I put providers in a, you know, interesting position as well or whatnot. But anywho, y'all, that's for a different topic um, or a different podcast, as I shall say. But anywho, one thing I really wanted to focus on today, because I was like, you know what? I have to cover something because this month is October and October is almost done. Um, this Saturday is October 31st, Halloween. Woo-woo. Hope you guys got your costumes for all those who celebrate. I can't wait for everyone to see me and my son's costume. We're really into it. Um, I like to dress up and we like to go as a pair. Well, I like to. I just said that he does because he can't speak for himself as of yet. So I'm just going to say I think he likes it too. <laughs> but anywho, so it's almost the end of October. And for those of you who don't know, it's Domestic Violence Awareness Month. October is. And for those of you who don't know me um, or really you know, know me on a deeper level or some of my personal experiences, I'm also a survivor of domestic violence. Um, I've as a person who's a survivor and also who works with survivors of abuse and their families, I thought, you know, Jasmine, you'd be really remiss if you didn't cover something, right, about domestic violence. And you guys, I'm going to be very transparent with you guys. I tether the line sometimes because I, as a professional, try to figure out what's appropriate as it relates to what's appropriate to share versus what's not appropriate to share right? Just the way society conditions us is that, you know, for example, as a therapist, and there's all these popular misconceptions that just because you're a therapist, you don't experience life or you haven't been through anything. It's like, it can't be a prerequisite, right? Uh, what not as it relates to being a, a great therapist. You don't want your therapist to have been through something themselves, right? That's just the narrative that I've been privileged to. Myself, I don't believe that, Um, And I don't subscribe to that, but based off of my interactions with other people, you know, sometimes people challenge your credibility just because you're vulnerable, um, because you're more vulnerable in sharing. And I had to really ask myself in the previous podcast that I recorded, and I did not like, you know, and I was really holding back because I was like, I don't want to tell people too much about myself, you know, because I'm like, you can even hear it. I'm not going to share that podcast. Like there was a, there was fear, you know, even me recording and I was listening back, I was like, oh my goodness, like, girl, (laughs) woman, what is going on? You know, this is not you. This is not authentically you. You know, I'm very, um, 
you know, passionate about, you know, of course, sharing appropriately. um, But sometimes your own experiences can help someone relate um, and understand things better and grow. So I'm not going to deprive my audience of that. Even my own personal experiences out of sake of, oh my goodness, I wonder how people are going to perceive me as a professional. Because at the end of the day, I do believe in not to be cocky or anything. My work speaks for itself. You know, whoever, and goes back to self-fulfilling prophecy, whomever wants to believe something is going to believe it regardless, right? Because at the end of the day, as a therapist, you can check, well, as the saying goes, you can check my um, resume, you can check my profile, you know, and my work speaks for itself. Um, So anywho, I'll just pay me to the cross for it. You know, people are going to believe what they want to believe, but I'm not going to allow that to limit my voice. And the original podcast, I was, I was like, oh, you know, don't say this, don't say that. And I'm like, no, because you're limiting yourself and you're not giving, you know, your all to your audience or you're not giving your best self. Because when you deny that part of yourself, that is that part of yourself influences who you are and that helps you connect to people and help others. And if you deny that part of yourself, are you really showing up to be authentic and help people? No, you're not. So I said, well, guys, let me re-record this because this is a topic that I'm extremely passionate about. As I've said before, me too, I, as a person who has experienced this, who has relatives, who has close friends who've experienced it, you know, and I've been close up on it, not also as like a, I want to say participant, but somebody involved in that dynamic and also seeing other dynamics play out in personal relationships and also, you know, professional as well. So this is a topic I'm extremely passionate about. And I said, well, it's October. So it's Domestic Violence Awareness Month. What more appropriate time to share information about domestic violence and help my audience educate themselves? Because awareness is the best thing. Knowledge is the best thing that you, you have, right? We have to educate ourselves on different um, things that are impacting our communities. I'm very passionate and I'm not ashamed to say this, nor am I apologetic about it. I'm very uh, passionate about issues that impact Black women because there are a lot of issues that impact Black women disproportionately. And I feel like there is not a light shown on it that often. And you guys, you know, take it for what it works, you know, because I'm not going to lie. You know, of course, as someone, of course, I'm a therapist. I've done work. I know how to process things. I know how to understand things about myself and I know how to self-regulate. You know, even it may not seem as serious or whatnot, and people are not taking it as serious because it's a celebrity, but the whole Megan Thee Stallion thing was extremely triggering for me. Um, And I'm so proud of her and I'm so glad. And I know she's a celebrity. At the end of the day, she's a human being. It doesn't matter what a person has or what is seemingly on the outside, this person, you know, financially, their security or what they have on the outside looking in, they're still a human being. And these things, these things impact us all in some way or another. And I hated seeing the feedback and the comments for people and the response that she was getting, you know, by using her voice. And yet again, you know, based off the society that we live in, Black women are so often um, being police, right? We're often being policed by society, a society that tells us that our voice is not important. We're not important. And anytime that we speak out, we're shunned or we're told how to be appropriate, how to show up, you know, for, you know, for, I mean, also other women as well, um, but I can only speak to the black experience. So I'll never speak to experience that is not my own because I'm a black woman at the end of the day. So I don't know what it's like to be a Hispanic woman, a white woman, an Asian woman, or any other race, because I'm only a black woman. 
right? And I can only speak to that experience. However, just seeing that stuff in the media, I was just like so raged because it's it's just an interesting dynamic um, to see that with her and that guy. Um, and the knee-jerk reaction was not to believe the person who was finally found the courage, which I mean, she's a performer. I'm pretty sure she you know, has, she has a voice, you know, she's not afraid to use it. She's not a shy woman, but in those situations like that, it can be so embarrassing, so much shame, you know, society makes you feel like, you know, you have something to be ashamed of and you're lesser than because you've experienced this, you know, and it is, it's often silences victims or whatnot, but this woman used, finally used her voice um, to speak out against someone who had hurt her. And the knee jerk reaction was to say that, we don't really know what happened in that car. We weren't there. And the knee-jerk reaction was to not believe her. But ironically to me, because of course I have a black son. I have black family male members. I'm always going to ride for my community. However, it was just interesting to me that that was the response that she received as opposed to some men in our communities, within my community, when those things happen of outside groups. In a sense, there are people responding to Megan as these outside groups would to these men who were murdered by police. For example, um, when a man is, a person is shot, or a man, black man is shot, or gunned down, right? And just disproportionately to what's going on. Of course, maybe he had a, uh, whatever, a traffic violation or something like that. But that doesn't mean, even if you committed a crime, that does not merit you losing your life. That is not a prerequisite to lose your life. That doesn't matter. This, you sh this person should never lose their life because there's a court of law in the way that our systems are set up, you know, this person is entitled to a day in court, you know, and a police officer is not the judge nor the jury. And some of the responses from other communities, not saying it's everyone within this community, guys, but some of the other communities, well, what was he doing there? Why was he there? And it's questioning the victim as opposed to questioning a perpetrator, like, why did you make this decision, right? You know, why did you feel like this person deserve to be harmed or, um, or anywho, why did this person, what, what, how were your actions merited? Right. And some of those responses that we receive or black men receive who were gunned down by the police were the same responses that Megan was getting in the comments, not saying it was just people within my community, but it was a lot of us within my community who were having that sort of response. And I'm not going to lie. It made me feel a kind of way. Um, I'm not trying to project my experience onto anyone, but that's that's one of the main reasons that women do not speak out or victims because of the society's reaction to victims and how they there's like this knee-jerk reaction to not believe victims and be inquisitive or you know like questioning you know their um, integrity, you know their truthfulness, which is interesting to me. But anywho guys, I'm gonna get off of my soapbox and I kind of want to get to the topic at hand. At first, I said I wasn't going to involve any personal information, but to me, the best way to explain my to explain this material is to include myself as well, appropriately, of course. So guys, so just to get started, I want to share some definitions and some statistics with you guys. As I said before, Black women... <laughs> okay, let me just read this. The statistics on domestic violence in the United States are disturbing. One in three women and one in 10 men will experience domestic violence in their lifetime. Each year, domestic violence is estimated to affect 10 million people. But can you guess what group is disproportionately affected by domestic violence? 
you've guessed it, Black women. The numbers are even more stark for Black women. More than 40% of Black women will experience domestic violence in their lifetime. You guys, that's almost half. According to the Institute of Women's Policy Research Status of Black Women in the U.S., in comparison, 3.15% of all women will experience domestic violence, which is still a big number. A report from the National Center for Victims of Crime found that 53.8% of Black women have experienced psychological abuse, while 41.2% of Black women have experienced physical abuse. More disturbingly, <coughs> Black women are 2.5 <coughs> excuse me, guys, times more likely to be murdered by men than white women. In an overwhelming majority of these cases, 92% of the person who was killed, the victim knew their killer. Fifty-six <coughs> percent of these homicides were committed by a current or former intimate partner. Nearly all ninety-two percent of these killings were interracial, which means that they were committed by a black man against a black woman. Now, guys, I know we have a lot of talk. I like to call kitchen table talk, or Miss Wendy likes to call kitchen table talk. And you know, these are discussions that we should only have within our community. You know, maybe some of the other communities can cover their ears for right now. But guys, this is a problem, right? Uh, with statistics like these, black the Black Women's Health Project determined that domestic violence is the number one health issue facing Black women. Of course, there's other intersectionality, right? You know, that influence these numbers such as racism and, you know, gender and whatnot that also, you know, impact or influence this number. It's not just, you know, clean cut black women, but there's a lot of intersectionality with black women that impact these numbers, that influence and elevate these numbers. All right, guys, I just want to share that with you because as a black woman, like I said, it's important to me. I'm here for us. It's, it's important for me to share the information that disproportionately affects my group, right? I'm an advocate for black women, right? Okay, guys, so just so you get a better understanding, I want to give a definition of abuse, uh, domestic violence. So domestic violence, also referred to as intimate partner violence, IPV, dating abuse, or relationship abuse, is a pattern of behaviors used by one partner to maintain power and control of another partner in an intimate relationship. And guys, I kind of want you to zone in on the maintaining power and control because across different types of abuse, domestic violence abuse, and there is different types, the one reoccurring theme is a maintenance of power and control over another person. Okay, guys? So abuse is more than physical violence. Abuse is more than physical violence, like I said before. It encompasses so many other different uh, types of abuse. Uh, that includes behaviors that physically harm, intimidate, manipulate, or control a partner, or otherwise force them to behave in ways that they don't want to, including physical threats, emotional abuse, or financial abuse. Multiple forms of abuse are usually present at the same time in abusive situations. And it's essential to understand how these behaviors interact so you know what to look for. And as I said earlier, when we were getting started on this podcast, you know, I didn't, I mean, I don't know if I said that, or maybe that was my other podcast, guys. I don't know. It's irrelevant. But anywho, um, there's being able to notice the signs, but of course, no one can predict a perpetrator or abuser who has the capacity to be an abuser or be a perpetrator. However, there are some signs, right? If some, if the person is already displaying some of these signs, that, that can be kind of like warning signs, right? To look out for, or, you know, lack of a better term, um, lack of a better term, uh, well, of course, warning signs. Multiple forms of abuse are usually present, like we said before. And there's also a power and control wheel that I'm going to go over with you guys. I'm also going to share some of my own personal information when we go over it. So 
So we talked about the definition of abuse and there's different types of abuse, right? Like I said, there's the financial, there's the emotional, there's the psychological and there's the financial emotional because at the, at the root of every last different type of abuse, there is a maintenance of power and control or exerting some sort of power and control over another individual. And it can be through manipulation. All right, guys. So let's look at some of the warning signs of abuse. Recognizing the signs of relationship abuse is very vital sometimes to protect yourself. And like I said before, at the start of a new relationship, it's not always easy to tell if it will become abusive later. And I know a lot of people say, well, didn't she know or didn't he know? No, you don't know. Because in fact, as you guys know, even if you're not in an abusive relationship, and maybe some of you guys can attest to this, and let's be honest and frank with one another, there's many people that we've all dated that they, as I like to say, they they showed them they showed their best selves when you met them, right? Of course, we all do. We show up as our best, right? Even when we go on a date, we look our best, our first date. Uh, we don't say anything to kind of like, you know, draw the other person away. Or make the other person not like want to, you know, talk to us or whatnot. So you don't know. No one knows the person, what a person is capable of until they show you signs, right? Um, but in fact, many abusive abusers appear like ideal partners in the early stage, right? Uh, so possessive and controlling behaviors don't always appear overnight and may emerge and intensify as the relationship grows. Okay, guys, let's go back to that. Just wanted to make sure I was still recording. Every relationship is different and domestic violence doesn't always look the same. As we've, I've said before, there's multiple times of abuse. A person may not even be, be being physically abused, but as a society, we've been conditioned to, you know, uh, correlate abuse with the physical component, but there's so many other dynamics as well. So many other types of abuse that are present and sometimes the physical isn't even there. Um, one feature shared by most abusive relationship is that the abusive partner tries to establish or gain power and control, as I've mentioned before, through many different types of methods at different, at different moments. All right. Let me share with you guys. There's this other interesting um, slide that I saw. I, I don't know where it went. Come on. Come on, Internet. Come on. Come on. Oh, here it is, guys. So it says common signs of abusive behavior in a partner include. Even one or two of these flags, behaviors in a relationship is a red flag that abuse may be present. Um, as I said, at least two. But guys, I'm not going to um, I'm be honest with you. Uh, yeah. If one is even present, you need to be paying attention. Right. And a support is so important. And, you know, if you have a, a support system that you really trust. And I always say, like, I've even gotten to a place now. I, you know, I've really I've gotten better discernment. However, I do a lot of um, fact-checking with friends and family members. And what do you think, right? Hey, let me run this by you. What are, what are your thoughts? You know, what are some of your thoughts? Even as a therapist, I do that, right? We even some of my clients, like, hey, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think, right? Just getting feedback is so very important as it relates to relationships. If they're a safe, identify a safe person that you can share, that's so important in these relationships because we're going to talk about some of the dynamics that come into play and not having a support system. Of course, I know Ideally, you can't always control that there's life, stuff happens, right? But not having a support system makes you more at risk to being into intimate partner relations, a domestic violence or intimate partner violent relationship. So some common signs of abusive behavior in a partner include even one or two of these behaviors in relationship to the red flag. So for example, telling you that you never do anything right, kind of like talking down to you, right? Showing extreme jealousy of your friends 
and time you spend away from them. That's another red flag. Preventing or discouraging you from spending time with your friends, family members, or peers. Insulting, demeaning, or shaming you, especially in front of other people. Preventing you from making your own decisions, include about working or attending school. Controlling finances in the household without discussion, including taking your money or refusing to provide money for necessary expenses. Pressuring you to have sex or perform sexual acts you're not comfortable with. Pressuring you to use drugs or alcohol. Intimidating you through threat, threatening looks or actions. Insulting your parenting or threatening to harm or take away your children or pets, intimidating you with guns, weapons, knives, bats, or mace, or destroying your belongings. So guys, I just wanted to point out, I want you guys to remember that no one deserves to experience abuse of any kind. It is never okay. Even if you feel like, well, this person is choosing to stay, it doesn't negate the fact that it's not okay for this person to be experiencing that or whatnot. And then we'll talk about that, just how to support a victim of abuse and also safeguard yourself. Because it can be a lot um, being around, you know, that type of relationship or being impacted by that sort of relationship, whether it be directly or indirectly. So as I said before, like relationship abuse of a pattern of behavior is used to gain and maintain power and control of a partner, which can manifest in a number of ways. There's usually more than one form of abusive behavior occurring in an abusive relationship. Understanding the various ways that abuse appears and interacts can prepare you to respond to situations safely for yourself and others. All right, guys, let me reach to you. You know, I know this is very informative, but this is all good stuff that we need to know because I think there's so many misconceptions as it relates to um, domestic violence that's out there. And I don't want to further perpetuate, you know, some of these um, ideas or faulty ideas or misconceptions, you know, that can be harmful and that can isolate people or kind of polarize them for seeking help, you know, and it's not your responsibility, you know, it's not your responsibility um, for someone else in their domestic um, and domestic violence, but just being aware of these things. So, you know, we can be a little bit more understanding of the impact that it has on people. So, for example, I'm going to read to you guys physical abuse. You know, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. You may experience physical abuse if your partner has or repeatedly does any of these following abusive behaviors. Pulls your hair or punch, slap, kick, bite, choke, or smother you. Forbid or prevent you from eating or sleeping. Use weapons against you. Prevent you from contacting emergency services, including medical attention or law enforcement harm your children, drive recklessly or dangerously with you in a car, force you to use drugs or alcohol, trapping you in your home or preventing you from leaving, throw objects at you and prevent you from taking prescribed medication or deny you necessary medical attention. So emotional and verbal abuse. You may be experiencing some of this um, in an abusive relationship if your partner attempts to exert control by calling you names, insulting you, constantly criticizing you, acting jealous or possessive or refusing to trust you, Hmm. isolating you from family, and that's not cute, you guys, um, isolating you from family, friends, or others. This is a really big one, guys. And when I go over the power and control will, I'll talk a little bit more about that. Isolating you from family, friends, or other people in your life. Kind of like I talked about earlier, having a support is so important. And when you don't have a support, it's so much easier for a perpetrator to isolate you from your foundation and kind of like your fact checkers, right? Monitoring your activities with or without you knowing, including demanding to know where you go, who you contact, and how you spend your time. 
attempting to control what you wear, including clothes, makeup, or hairstyles, humiliating you in a way, especially in front of others. Gaslighting. This is a big one, right? It's called you by, they're gaslighting you by pretending not to understand or refuse to listen to you. Question your recollection of facts, events, or sources. Trivializing your needs or feelings or denying previous statements or promises. Another popular expression is like crazy making, right? Or crazy talking, right? Or making you feel like you're crazy. You know, air quotes. I don't use that phrase crazy, but I'm to reference clients. But anyhow, um, it's just making you feel like, you know, questioning your reality, you know, and, and validating your experiences and making you to the point to where you feel like, you know, dang, like, is this really going on or am I losing it, right? Threatening you, your children, your family, or your pets with or without weapons, damaging your belongings, including throwing objects, punching walls, and kicking doors, blaming you for their abusive behaviors. Big one. It ain't your fault that they, everyone has has the ability to make a choice. It's not your fault that somebody chose to put their hands on you or, or abuse you. Uh, accusing you of cheating or cheating themselves and blaming you for their actions. Cheating on you intentionally um, to hurt you and threatening to cheat again is such that you're better than, they're better than you. All right. And that's another thing. Like, remember I said, it's the power and control, control dynamic. If someone's cheating on you, right, that can hurt, right? Um, and threatening to cheat on you again to suggest that you're doing something wrong yet again. Um, telling you that you're lucky to be with them or telling them that you'll never find someone. And usually if somebody's saying that, you know, that's an attempt to assert some power and control over you again to make you believe or in attempts to make you believe that you can't do any better. Therefore, you need to accept this sort of behavior because there's nothing better out there. And sometimes it's not even the abuser too that does it, um, the perpetrator. Sometimes it can be people who are not even in a relationship that are even make you question, um, you know, some of your own thoughts and behaviors and your reactions um, because they don't have the knowledge themselves. And that's why I said earlier, it's so important to be aware because some people don't even know the different dynamics of a domestic of domestic violence and they may be encouraging you to stay in a relationship that is not healthy. All right. And then it's also important to know the components of a healthy relationship. And maybe we'll talk about that on a different podcast. But if you just think of it, it's just healthier. It's the help. It's the healthier. It's the opposite of all this stuff, right? It's absent of all this, this stuff. So sexual abuse. You may be experiencing sexual abuse if your partner has or repeatedly does any of the following. Force you to dress in a sexual way, insult you in sexual ways, force and manipulate you into sex, choke or restrain you during sex without your consent. Consent is very important. Hold you down during sex without your consent. Hurt you with weapons or objects. Involve other people in your activities against your will. Main thing here that we're getting at is there's no consent. You didn't you, you didn't sign up for this. Ignore your feelings regarding sex. Force you to watch things. Intentionally give you or attempt to give you a sexually transmitted um, infection. All right, then there's sexual coercion. Examples of sexual coercive behavior, implying that you owe them something, giving you drugs or alcohol, using your relationship status as leverage, reacting with sadness, anger, resentment if you say or don't immediately agree with something, or trying to normalize their sexual demands, continue to pressure you after you say no, or intimidating you, interfering what will happen if you say no. 
And then there's reproductive coercion. You guys might not read all of this, but you get to just, you can go to the hotline.org. This is where all this information is verbatim coming from. I'm not even going to lie because I just want to make sure that I share the resource with you guys so you can go and do the research yourself. But I don't want to get here and just keep reading all this. Um, so examples of reproductive coercion means like refusing to wear a condom or uh, allowing you to use other types of birth control, you know, lying about methods of birth control, removing, and it can be women too, removing birth control methods, withholding money to purchase birth control, monitoring your cycle, forcing pregnancy, intentionally becoming pregnant, forcing you to get an abortion, threatening you, act of violence if you don't agree to end your pregnancy and keeping you pregnant by getting you pregnant again shortly after you have a child. So financial abuse. So providing an allowance, um, monitoring how you spend it, preventing you from viewing, accessing accounts, basically controlling your finances, right? That's long story short, controlling your finances. You guys can look it up. Uh, digital abuse is more along the lines of monitoring your um, digital footprint, using social media to track you, um, insulting or humiliating you online. So basically using um, online, using the internet to assert power and control in some way, right? Then there's stalking. Uh, let's see, what's this next one? Digital abuse comes with its own unique concerns, um, forcing you to share passwords, forcing you to do all kinds of stuff online. Long story short. <laughs> okay, guys, that's pretty much it for the different types of abuse. I didn't really want to spend too much time on all of this. Um, I just kind of want to give you guys like a broad sense of the different types of abuse, different kind of information and go from there. So we cover the different types of abuse and kind of I want to talk about the power and control will next. And then after that, we'll talk about, you know, supporting victims and different resources you guys can look into. Actually, guys, we're not going to do that. I think this would be a good place to wrap up. Um, and then next time we'll go from there. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll pick up and do a part two. All right, you guys.